Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. It's 133 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer and Brendan S. Scott with you on Oilers Now. Should tell you that Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years. Royal Pizza offers curbside pickup and takeout options for a menu and a listener to 13 Edmonton and area locations. Go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. The stopper recommendation at Royal Pizza is the Mediterranean chicken. Brendan Escott is a fan of the Texan. He's also a fan of the Houston Texans. He's a lot happier last year than he was this year. Brendan, just before we went to break, we did Greta Barr Oilers Now Trivia. The question, uh, 2007 draft, the Oilers held the 6th and 15th overall picks where they took Sam Gagne and Alex Plant. Actually traded two picks to get to 21 and uh, took Riley Nash. But the Oilers were trying to draft or trying to move up into the top three to get which player? And uh, the answer was Kyle Turris. And who was our winner today, Brennan? Glenn S. out of St. Albert. Good job, Glenn S. You get a uh, $50 players card for Greta Barr. As we are joined by my broadcast partner on the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline, Jack Michaels. Hi, Jack. How are you? I'm good. And now 13 years later, they got him. That's sort of like my line when Danny Vachocha ran out in the field uh, on second down in the overtime of the 2005 Grey Cup. It wasn't actually my line. It was Rob uh, Rob Dom's line. All great coaches are one play ahead of everybody else because Machocha thought it was third down, not second down, and ran around like uh, the proverbial chicken with his head cut off. And it turned out his team had to still stop uh, Anthony Calvillo and the uh, Alouettes on third down. So there you have it. The Oilers, they, 13 years, they got their guy. Big addition. All right, uh, let's do this. Jack, you're, you, know, you, you love sport. We have all these conversations over the years. We are watching a very different NFL, and for that matter, college football, than the three yards and cloud of dust of Ohio State and Michigan back in the 1970s, or the your beloved, not, Pittsburgh Steelers defense, the Steel Curtain in the 1970s. It's a whole different game, isn't it? Oh, for sure. I, you know, it's it's pinball out there, and and I think, you know, it really struck home the other day. I I think Philip Rivers might have passed Dan Marino for total passing yards or or one of his records, and you're like, really, Philip Rivers? It's just the way the game is has kind of you know transpired. I mean, people forget when Marino threw 48 touchdown passes. In 1984, that that was 12 better than the previous record. I mean, you know, in other words, you know, he shattered records, and now the the records seem to be falling year by year, incrementally speaking. Where you know that 48 touchdown passes has has now since been passed by Brady and Peyton Manning, I believe, if not if not Drew Brees himself. 
so you've got you've got all these records that that seemingly last a year or two and and whoever happens to be hot and i think there's still some records out there on the table that theoretically aaron Rodgers and tom brady are battling for week by week so it's a different game it's it's not necessarily uh less desirable to to watch in fact many people you know prefer the higher score i mean that's why they put in the pass interference rule the, the mel blunt rule in 78 and and here we are where all of a sudden we're not batting an eye at a at a 45 40 game and we've got smaller smaller quarterbacks that are protected like you touch a quarterback in the nfl or in college I mean, you watch college, Jack, and any time a guy makes a great hit, half the time you got to worry about whether or not it's going to be called targeting, and he's not just tossed out for the, the rest of the, the game, but he's also tossed out for the first half of the next game. Does it go too far at sometimes? Well, I, I think it depends on where your mindset as far as what's too far. I think the ultimate objective is the quarterbacks are the – you know, big reason why people show up at the games. They're often the star players of the team. Uh, less so, I guess, in college where, you know, there's there's still a reliance on a running back, but it's still a quarterback's game. And so if, you're, if your most important position on the field is quarterback and you're trying to make sure that the stars stay healthy, then I, I think you get a lot of people on the side of, of uh, you know, you do what's you do what's necessary in order to achieve that objective. But I will say that every week it seems like there's a hit, including the one on Drew Brees that knocked him out with a cracked ribs uh, and collapsed lung. But if you actually watch that on TV, and I know the guy was flagged for it, but I mean, I'm still looking for why that's roughing the passer even by today's rules. I, you know, I don't know why that was a penalty, even, even, you know, looking at today's standards. So it's very tough to play defense now. And that's why I think you're seeing the scores on a regular basis show up the way they are is because uh, most, if not all the rules adjustments in the last 25 to 30 years have favored the offense. Even, and we'll take it one step further, the, the kicking game, right? It's it's boring now. Like on kickoffs, half the, it used to be guys used to return kickoffs. And you, you watch college football, it's like a 25 to 30% return ratio. And the rest of the time, they're letting it just go through. I mean, some of the best hits you would ever see were guys, especially on the good teams, that would be starting as freshmen at other schools. They're trying to prove their worth on teams running down the field and just hammering guys and blowing guys up in the reaction from the crowd. And that's gone. That's been taken out of the game right now. And I, I'm sorry, Jack, for me, that's part of football. Well, if you bring it back to hockey, you know, what was the in in the early 90s, the most popular hockey videos were Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em, where it was, you know, basically the equivalent of a kickoff return type of hit. I mean, I remember those videos and I loved them. And meanwhile, over in the United States, I don't know whether they made up, uh, they made their way up to Canada, but the NFL used to produce these series of videos called the Crunch Time video. 
videos, NFL crunch time. And it was the same thing where you saw nothing but huge headshots and mostly, you know, again, to your point, a ton of them, at least 50, if not more percent of them were, were plays that occurred on kickoff returns. And again, you're trying to protect the players. You're trying to limit those high speed collisions. Well, the easiest way to do that is, is to make a, a kickoff, uh, you know, virtually a 75% certainty that it's going to be a touchback and, and no damage done. Yeah, I mean, I still have in my world, Jack, and I know you know this because you work with a guy who occasionally will watch hockey fight videos to relax an hour and a half before a game on his computer. Uh, but I still have time for physicality in hockey and football. And it, it frankly, it, it frustrates me a little bit. It does open up the game for smaller players. And we've seen that. Bet- the only thing that hasn't opened up the offense totally for me in hockey is the size of the goaltenders and goaltending equipment. Otherwise, I think we'd see, and, and we've seen an increase in scoring over the last couple of seasons, but I think we'd see a greater increase if we actually had the goaltending equipment uh, size down even smaller. But again, part of the reason there is to protect the goalies. Right. And they've streamlined it to a certain point. I think, you know, the other option you would theoretically have is either slant the goalpost ever so slightly or ever so slightly older the size of the goal itself uh i'm you know i'm not sure we're at that point yet uh and what i mean by angling the goalposts is to theoretically increase the percentage that it'd be posted in bar down instead of bar out or or posted out so you know, I, I mean, I, I'm with you to a certain degree. I, I like offense as, as much as anyone, but I can also think of several games that you and I have done that have been highly entertaining, you know, 1-1 one, one or 2-2 two, two games. Uh, so it, it doesn't always need to be, you know, the 6-5 back and forth that we had in Philly there for a couple years. It, it, you know, there, there are a lot of good hockey games that involve a lower score. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Ten years together. What was the funnest game you broadcast? Well, that's a good. That's a really. Uh, that's a really good question. I, I think, to be honest with you, uh, you know, it, it didn't really have a ton of drama with respect to the actual score. In fact, I think most people have forgotten the actual score, but I would say the Edmonton-Calgary day game on February the 1st uh, for me was as entertaining an 8-3 game as you could hope to have. And, you know, the only the only thing about that game that I don't like is it's kind of obscured the fact that just three nights earlier there was a tremendous game that went Calgary's way at, at Rogers' place. To be honest with you, those are two of the best, you know, two of the most fun nights I've had is, is that Calgary-Edmonton kind of back-to-back there with St. Louis in between in late January and early February before everything kind of went sideways with the season. You know, it's my belief, Jack, that the Oilers had a little bit of a – and I, I know people, we've raised a generation that don't like to think of, of – these sort of terms, but I think the Oilers had the psychological advantage, intimidation-wise, on Calgary for a couple seasons there, especially the first year that Lucic was with the team in 16-17. But the guy that has totally sparked the, the you know, or, or got the Battle of Alberta going again, it's it's one guy, and it's Matthew, Matthew Kachuk. And yeah. we've and we've like you know what, two years ago he wouldn't have fought. 
This year, he takes the fight in the return engagement, which I 100% guaranteed you was going to happen. He takes the fight, but even take a look at what he did against Winnipeg to start that series off. He challenged, he challenged, you know, their captain, Blake Wheeler, right at the opening face-off to start that series. This guy is going to be a force for years to come, and it's going to be great for the Battle of Alberta. I think Matthew Kachuk is, I mean, again, he, he's cut from the same cloth as his dad. I, I don't even know whether I'd say, you know, he would, I, I think he plays the game a certain way. I think he uh, isn't necessarily afraid. I do think at times he'll, he'll pick his spots and, and make people wait just like, just like Zach Cassian subsequently made him wait and, and allow the anxiety uh, to build up in that game for him. And to be honest with you, it's not a lack of courage or, or anything like that. When it comes to Matthew Gachuk, I think he has got his uh, bachelor's degree in gamesmanship from probably the time he was old enough to lace up skates. And I think if you take a look at what his dad did over the course of his career, uh, very similar. He didn't always fight fight at that time or at the time you wanted him to fight, but he'd eventually fight. And he was another, you know, master gamesmanship, uh, knew when to turn it up offensively and stay out of those scrums, but also knew when his team, you know, needed him to jump, you know, full bore in. And I, I think that's a case where truly like father, like son, and it's, it's turned out to be a very positive addition for Calgary because in my estimation, uh, you know, when I think about the Edmonton-Calgary series, the two guys that are the usually glaringly uh, conspicuous by their absence in terms of a meaningful impact of the game are Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan. And I'm starting to sense that in that market, uh, there's there's an appetite for maybe a shakeup in terms of the chemistry of that hockey club and that maybe I'm not the only one who shares that opinion. You know, I know Goodrow had it. He had a 99-point season, Jack, but the fact of the matter remains that maybe part of what's occurred there in Calgary and why that appetite is there is because Matthew Kachuk has supplanted those two guys as the most important player for the Flames hockey team up front. And so and that's how Portley's the pulse of the team. Well, right. Bob, you don't have to you don't have to necessarily score ninety nine points, but you have to be you have to be a guy that hey, if he's on, the Flames are on. If he's off, the Flames are off. And it seems that Kachuk has usurped both. Gaudreau and Monaghan in that regard. Whereas, he's always in the fight. He's always exactly. in the fight. And, and when he's off, it's almost a guarantee that Calgary's not going to have a, a good night. In other words, it's become apparent that, you know, Monaghan and Gaudreau, they can have big nights, but if Kachuk isn't going, Calgary doesn't have the same rate of success. So I think I think we're kind of on the same page in the sense that he may not be the best player, the most skilled player, but he certainly seems to be the most important player on that team. Yeah, and there's no question his game continues to evolve a bit as well. And just back to Walt, his dad, uh, Keith Kachuk. I can remember 1992, Jack. He was with the Winnipeg Jets, and it was early in his career coming out of Boston College at that time. And 
they played Vancouver in the first round. The Oilers ended up getting the Canucks in round two and upset Vancouver in six in the 92 playoffs. That was kind of like the last run for the Oilers to go three rounds of the playoffs. They were on the fumes of their once great teams. But uh, Keith Kachuk, the, the fans in Vancouver, and I was working up in Fort St. James that year, they hated. I mean, I'd listen to Dan Russell's show on CKNW. They hated Keith Kachuk. And you know what? Fans in Edmonton, they're not too fond of Matthew Kachuk. And in fairness, that is the ultimate form of compliment, isn't it? Absolutely. I, when you're when you're hated or loved, you know you've had an impact. And uh, I, I, you know what? I think anyone in Edmonton would tell you, you know what? I don't like Matthew Kachuk. I, I put it in stronger language than just not too fond of him. I, I do think they hate him. But if all of a sudden Matthew Kachuk came to Edmonton, I, I, I think he'd be right there with – uh, 97 and 29 for most popular jersey to be toting around. And you know as well as I do that Edmonton has a great appreciation for the skill and brilliance presented by 97 and 29, but they also have a deep appreciation for a guy that, as, as you pointed out earlier, will lead his team into any sort of fight that he needs to. Well, you know what? We saw that firsthand here, right? Zach Cassian. He was hated in Vancouver. He busted up Sam Gagne's uh, face and broke his jaw. Comes to Edmonton. And when he, with Oliver ekman Larson, that game in Arizona, when ekman Larson cross-checked Matt Hendricks, a very popular Oiler player, and Cassian went in there and drilled him into the boards and then turned around and dropped his gloves and said, all right, who wants it? That was it. He'd won the fans over at that point, and they were all in on the Zach Cassian train, Jack. Well, and think about it. Uh, the goal he scored at Rogers Place in the 2017 playoffs. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl had a hat trick and I believe, what, a five-point night against Anaheim. And his ovation didn't didn't stack up to Zach's, you know, in, in the postseason. He's a guy that Edmontonians have a, have a very easy time connecting with when he's playing his game. And I know you've made the point uh, several times on your program that when it comes to this pass, playoff series, the argument could be made that no one uh, not only on the Oilers, but perhaps in the entire National Hockey League was affected more by the lack of fans than number 44 in Oilers Silks. Jack, I gotta get to a, a, a stallery plug here, but in 20 seconds or less, which game you watching primarily this weekend? Well, you know what I'm watching. I'm obviously going to be watching the Cleveland Browns play. So that, that's... I don't that's even know very... who they're playing. Who are they playing this week? Well, the Browns, you know, at 6-3 and three have a chance to do something they haven't done in 32 years, and that that's beat the Philadelphia Eagles on their home field. So they've got a chance to do that this weekend, and that's the game I'll be locked in on. All right, Jack. We'll talk next Friday. Thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. See you. See, that's Jack Michaels, my play-by-play partner with the Oilers Radio Network. It's 151 in Edmonton. We'll take a timeout, come back with this day in Oilers history. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stopper on 630 Chad. Bob Stopper, Brendan Escott with you, and we are going to head off at this time 
to this day in Oilers history at 153 in Edmonton. Here's Brendan Escott. 2001, Tommy Salo recorded his 28th career shutout, including his 14th with the Oilers to tie a franchise record for shutouts that was set by Curtis Joseph. The Oilers beat the visiting St. Louis Blues 2-0 at Skyreach Center. Eric Brewer, Jochen Hecht with the goals for Edmonton. And again, we mentioned this before on the show. The Oilers finished second in the league in goals against in the 2001-2002 season and missed the playoffs. They're right there, but uh, for a number of years, sort of 7 through 10 uh, overall in the standings. We'll tell you that uh, on Monday's show, we will hook up with Nick Kiprios, longtime uh, NHL Hockey and Rogers analyst, and he has a book out, Undrafted. Hockey, family, and what it takes to be a pro. A guy that had a very uh, interesting career, really evolved during his time with uh, Rogers over the years, and now has his uh, own deal going as the director of hockey operations with Lion Movement as well. John Shannon will join us in Reed Wilkins. Speaking of Reed, he has Inside Sports tonight. Brendan, fluid show or what's he got shaking? Well, he's going to have uh, color man for the double E football team, Dave Campbell, on to talk about the uh, 2021 CFL schedule that was released today. He'll also hear from Edmonton football team safety Jordan Hoover as he uh, reacts to the schedule. And green and gold, Grey Cup week continues uh, with 1956 Grey Cup champion for the double E, former Edmonton mayor, Bill Smith. Oh, wow. There you go. That'd be, I used to see Bill Smith all the time. Uh, at the uh, Riverbend Safeway over the years. All right, uh, up next, a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn. Jalen Nye uh, Nye is off this afternoon. Rob Breckenridge will have all the latest on the COVID-19 state of affairs in the province, as well as an interview with two avalanche survivors warning of the dangers of skiing deep in the backcountry. That coming up after the 2 o'clock news with Randy Kilburn. Everybody. Have a terrific weekend. Stay safe. Stay positive. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.